You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Many of us no longer know what to eat or who to believe anymore. You know, every day we are challenged by a new study that claims that something we have eaten thought to be good for our health now shows that we are at risk. Risk for diabetes, autoimmune disorders, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, and even cancer. Today on Wellness for Life, we have Dr. Richard Feynman, a professor of cell biology at the State University of New York downtown and at the downstate, downtown state medical center in Brooklyn and the author of Nutrition in Crisis, Flawed Studies, Misleading Advice, and the Real Science of Human Metabolism. He cuts through the noise, explaining the intricacies of nutrition and health metabolism and makes it easier for all of us to understand what's true and what's not. Great to have you here on Wellness for Life, Dr. Feynman. Uh, my pleasure. I'd love to jump into what you you know have in the uh, actual title of your book, uh, Flawed Studies. Now, you've discovered while researching for your new book that there's a lot out there that's not true. Can you go di- dive into that a little bit? Uh, sure. I think uh, the, the uh, problem is that uh, uh, medical science, especially as uh, transmitted to the general public is uh, does not have the same standards as uh, uh, biologic science and uh, there are uh, far too many exaggerations inaccuracies and in the end many of the people who are supposed to be experts who are physicians or uh, nutritionists uh, may not be trained in uh, scientific methods at all so, uh, and we've been through things that uh, uh, point this out. The reigning idea, which is really still alive, is that the big risk to health was fat, and the health agencies, uh, even now, including the American Medical Association, the ADA, that is the Diabetes Association, and even the NIH, they have a lot of disclaimers. When you pin them down, they say, oh, no, it's not total fat. It's a good fat. It's a bad fat, saturated fat. It's going to be LDL in your blood. And uh, But uh, this idea came from uh, no evidence to begin with, and there's a massive amount of uh, work trying to prove it, none of which has really panned out. And uh, so... At the same time, we have uh, a nutritional approach that's been used in a number of different contexts, uh, namely low-carbohydrate or ketogenic approaches, which the medical establishment and the nutritional establishment has decided uh, is a risk, and nothing will stop them from claiming that. No study... The most uh, the reason there's a real nutrition crisis right now is that we now have strong, long, clear studies showing that uh, low carbohydrate or ketogenic diets can essentially cure type two diabetes. Type two diabetes, you know, is the uh, diabetes where people do produce uh, insulin in distinction to uh, type one, where there's a, a 
failure to produce adequate or any insulin. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it is not uh, a cure for everybody. People are different. Diabetes is a very severe disease, much underrated, and it has complications. And there are uh, there are drugs and there are surgery, but nothing is comparable to the effects of uh, uh, reducing dietary carbohydrate. And uh, if people come off drugs; they improve all the symptoms. The major symptom of uh, both forms of diabetes is high blood glucose. And uh, they are uh, basically uh, a large number of people are suffering needlessly when they're not offered this option. I mean, it, it is, of course, not for everybody, and uh, people are different, but uh, it's your best bet. I wanted to ask you, why do you think, doctor, that uh, most medical professionals are not reading up on this information? Why is it that they're still not being taught this type of of uh, scientific truths. I don't know why people do things, <laughs> uh, but I would point out that we don't know who's. I mean, one of the problems with uh, the uh, crisis is that we don't know who believes what. So uh, the, the the medical establishment, as we understand it, is a relatively small number of people who populate the committees on uh, big private and government organizations, and we don't know who's believing them, and we don't know exactly what they're doing. The, the average doctor wants to help their patient, and uh, they, uh, uh, they're burdened with uh, overwork, and uh, most can't uh, find time to do all their paperwork. They uh, may take the word of these uh, experts, and they're not experts. Uh, but they may also uh, observe things for themselves. I mean, uh, medicine is most effective uh, when it's based on the intuition and experience of the uh, uh, physician and, uh, of course, uh, as a background, the science. So uh, your uh, physician may well uh, urge you to try a low-carb diet. We just don't know. Uh, certainly, there are more and more of them. And the uh, uh, the attack on low-carb diets is, is now out of control. They're actually personally and professionally attacking doctors and nutritionists. And uh, it's, uh, you know, they're real personal attacks causing serious harm to uh, practitioners. Now, I documented it. Well, it's well known because it's in popular press. It's not hidden. Uh, six major cases. And most of them have backed down, some with an actual apology. There's only one high-profile case of Jennifer Elliott, who's a dietitian in Australia, uh, who lost her job for recommending a low-carb diet. And uh, it's an interesting case because uh, she's, uh, she's not radical. She's not uh, rebellious. She just uh, recommended this uh, as something she knows to be helpful, and uh, she's still out of work there. Wow. So uh, the answer to your question is I don't know why they uh, are so hostile to this idea. It's certainly mm. not supported uh, by science anymore, and it certainly is political, but I don't know what the features of the politics are. 
Mm. It's not a great answer, but uh, no, no. But you're telling uh, the actually, you know, I like that. It's the truth. I'm it's, sorry. it's. I know. I, I appreciate uh, your answer because um, there are really no good reason. It's, and that's what the whole idea is here: is to be able to bring light to, uh, you know, our listeners that we've got to be our own health advocates and we've got to do our own research and we've got to read books like yours uh, that describe and and go deep into the science and the data. Because what your book is about is let's look at the data. Let's look at the data. And there's one, um, one scientific uh, research study that you wrote about in your introduction, and it's called the Nurses' Health Study. And that was very interesting. I'd really like you to just give us a short uh, description of what that is and what what you found from that study. Well, it was a uh, epidemiologic study. So, in other words, they had a, a large number of uh, uh, what's called a cohort of uh, nurses in the Boston area, and they also uh, expanded this to uh, health professional studies. And they uh, surveyed what people were eating. You know, they asked them about their uh, uh, behavior, and they uh, measured uh, various health parameters, uh, incidents of disease, and they tried to correlate them. And uh, the, uh, the the simplest description of uh, an epidemiologic study is it shows you an association between uh, two phenomena, two variables. Okay, so for, for example, the uh, nurses' health study uh, looked at things like uh, consumption of saturated fat versus incidence of heart disease. And uh, what they find for all of these is there is an association, but it's not an association that meet, meets the standards of being causally related. In other words, there, there are many examples of associations. The classic is that uh, over history, the, for many countries, the incidence of heart disease correlates with the number of TV sets that were available. And uh, it's obvious they're not causally related. The question is, how do you address that? How do you ask when is, a, uh, when is an association for real? And the the standard that's widely used is uh, what's called uh, Bradford Hill's criteria. Now, Bradford Hill was the guy who did the original study on the association between uh, smoking cigarettes and lung cancer. And what he found that was that there was an association and that he could show that it was causal or likely causal. You, you know, you could never absolutely prove causality just by one uh, approach, but he gave uh, nine standards, nine uh, nine criteria that you could use uh, to, to decide whether there was a good case for causality. He was very clear that, that what was important was your intuition, your understanding of the biology, and that these were not cut and dried standards. So his first criterion was the size of the association, you know, which is usually given in, say, odds. You know, what's the odds? So if you were a a smoker, compared to a non-smoker, you had 10 to 1 times the likelihood of developing uh, lung cancer. If you were a heavy smoker, 
the odds were 20 or 30 to 1. Those are strong odds. Now, he was very careful and very prudent, and he said that he thought that it was likely that there was an association. He didn't put it this way. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. There was likely an association be cig- between cigarette smoking and heart disease, but the odds there were only two to one, and he wasn't sure whether that was uh, supportive. Now, for comparison, uh, in in a court of law, in a uh, toxic tort case, you know, where you would say that the uh, uh, chemicals in the atmosphere in the factory was causing your employees uh, uh, to develop respiratory disease or something like that, if you want, if you have this kind of epidemiology evidence. Uh, the courts rule that to get it into evidence, to get it admitted as evidence, you usually have to be at least, at least two to one. You know, it's not absolute. Uh, you, you have to have something else that's very strong. Well, if you look at the dozens, if not hundreds, of pace, papers that came out on the nurses' health study, they never hit two to one on anything. And sometimes it's as low as 1.2 to one. And what what is even 1.5 to 1 is, what does 1.5 to 1 mean? Well, uh, everybody likes different description on probability. I prefer the uh, uh, standard as 50-50 odds means, uh, well, 50-50 odds is like 50% chance of rain. It means you, uh, uh, what 50% chance of rain means, you know just what you knew before you turned on the radio. So, uh odds is 60-40. Now, the question is, are you going to change your behavior based on 60-40 odds? Well, it depends. What are we talking about? Well, in the nurses' health study, we're talking about people's recall of what they ate. And the people who are epidemiologists who study this will describe to you all of the possible errors uh, they list all of the things that could go wrong, and they say that that validates uh, the food consumption data. Well, validate usually means makes it true. What it validates is big error. They, they uh, basically, uh, I mean, they're, the interpretations that you get here are uh, really uh, screwy, but the data is there. I mean, you have to, uh, in reading these studies, you, you assume that they honestly report the data. Uh, uh, I mean, you can go to jail for falsifying uh, data on a government grant. So uh, they lay out what's actually going on, and uh, it, it wouldn't convince anybody. And then they come up with these 60-40 odds. And the, the important thing is, and, and let me give you a, a, a real uh important technical point here. Uh, This kind of statistics is what is called technically uh, two-tailed. What what two-tailed means is that if you don't win, you lose. In other words, it's a zero-sum game. uh, You don't get your chips back. If you don't win, uh, the house keeps your chips. Now, the the reason to emphasize that is to compare it to uh, cholesterol and uh, I'm sorry, to uh, cigarette smoke and uh, uh, lung cancer. Not everybody who smokes gets lung cancer. And not everybody who had lung cancer uh, was a smoker. Nobody believes, however, that there's something uh, uh, inherently good in 
uh, want to uh, uh, say this. There's, there's something that makes you better by not smoking. In other words, the people who don't get lung cancer and who are smokers, they're just immune, or they didn't live, live long enough, or something. There's nothing inherent in, in not smoking. But when you're comparing eating uh, fat compared to a different kind of fat or compared to carbohydrate, you don't know which one is better. So if you don't get better, you get worse. And with that kind of with that kind of statistic, sixty forty is not good. It's uh, and the, and the uh, what you, one of the mistakes you see in the the nutrition literature is they get these very small ratios, and then they say, well, if we scale that up. Thousands of lives will be saved. But it's not that those are true low numbers. What they are is unreliable numbers. You don't know whether they're true. They could be uh, the other way. You can't scale up something that's not real. Mm. And it's astounding that that a field has uh, arisen where all of these things are out there and they're uh, fundamentally uh, flawed. So, and the question we asked, uh, by we I mean the critics, I mean, the reason this persists is that we are never invited or very rarely invited to review those papers. You know, the, the problem uh, in the uh, crisis in nutrition lies really with the journal, uh, the, the medical journal. Now, an editor for a medical journal should understand when he's looking at a paper that is controversial, and he's obligated to find reviewers on both sides of the controversy, and they never do that or very rarely do that. Uh, so if they had gotten peer review, real peer review, where they get both sides, I, the uh, medical literature would probably be uh, a third of the size it is now. However, the question the critics have been asking is, what happened to Bradford Hill's criteria? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, he was clear, you know, at least two to one, but we don't even see two to one. The uh, remarkable thing, and this is very current, and this was not in the book, looking back through some of the literature and a paper that uh, came out, I think, last year, buried in there, or, or sometimes explicitly, they say, we applied Bradford Hill's criteria, and we, the, his first criteria, the size of the association, we consider 1.2 is good. Uh, they're telling you that low is actually high. I mean, I, I'm, I'm afraid I, I consider this uh, uh, Trumpoid uh, analysis. <laughs> you know, you just say what you want to say, even if it doesn't make sense. So, it's incredible <laughs> that they actually believe those that they believe that's true. They wouldn't say it unless they truly believe it. Isn't that amazing? I wanted to go just, you know, we don't have a lot more time. Gosh, I wish I could talk to you much more longer. Our, our show is about... Uh, 25, 27 minutes long. So I want to go into one more um, area. And this is specifically what you believe to be true. And that's that low carbohydrate diet and uh, possibly ketogenic diet is really the way to manage a lot of our diseases, including diabetes, metabolic um, syndrome, et cetera. Can you just go ahead and just touch on that? And what exactly are you saying? How much carbohydrates do we need to have per day? And if you can give us that information, that would be awesome. Well, let me, let me be explicit because I gave three rules for what you should eat. Uh, and the first rule was that if you're okay, you're okay. 
if, if you if you're healthy and you uh, not overweight and you get a little exercise, you'll probably uh, have the right diet. I don't. I'm not a uh, advocate for any particular thing. Uh, the second point is uh, uh, that, uh, and I, as I describe it, I said it as a joke that if you want to lose weight, don't eat, uh, and if you have to eat, don't eat carbs. And what I mean by that is, is that, that calories count, of course. But uh, you're going to get the most likely outcome with uh, reducing carbohydrates because the uh, there's an extensive literature now explaining the ideas behind it. So uh, there are lots of different ways to lose weight, and people uh, find what helps uh, uh, them themselves. A low-carbohydrate diet is your best bet. It's the easiest to stay on of, of those that are effective. I mean, most weight loss diets are not uh, particularly effective. Uh, everybody uh, everybody knows that, and it's because your body tries to maintain uh, the state that it's in, what's called homeostasis. So low-carbohydrate diets are the most highly effective, in my view, easiest to stay on, but it's everybody's choice. If you have diabetes or what's called metabolic syndrome, which is related to that, uh, I think you must try a low-carb diet first. If you don't like it, you can do something else. Uh, I'm at Downstate Medical Center, and I uh, ran into a diabetologist, and we were talking, and he says, uh, what's very popular now is bariatric surgery. And I said, well, I, uh, I'm sure it's helpful, but, you know, if you're picking, if you're choosing between changing your diet, and uh, I, I hesitated, and he said, uh, rearranging your digestive system, uh, yeah, that's that's a clear choice. So uh, the major uh, breakthrough this year has been uh, uh, by the work at Verda Health and Sarah Hallberg and Jeff Bolick and uh, Steve Benny. This group is the most expert, and uh, uh, they basically have laid out the science. Now they they are willing to say that they're much more. Uh, uh, Sarah is uh, <laughs> Sarah is a, a very nice person, and she said there are three ways to control diabetes. You can do a, a low-carb ketogenic diet, you can do bariatric surgery, or you can do the extreme calorie restriction. You can put yourself on a starvation diet of 800 kilocalories. Uh, as I see it, it you, you know, it's not hard to see what the first choice is, and it, it's not hard to see how far down on the scale the others are. Uh, but you can modify it. You know, you can see what works. Uh, we, uh, you know, I come to, uh, from this business from uh, physical science where we would do 100 experiments uh, to find out one point about one protein. And here we're jumping into a system that has 100 variables and we don't, so we don't have absolute answers for everybody. Some form of low-carb diet uh, is going to be best uh, for diabetes or obesity, how little is uh, depends on what works. The uh, uh, there is no biological requirement for carbohydrate. You don't have to have any carbohydrate at all. We know this because uh, you don't store much carbohydrate in terms of energy. You probably store two days worth. So uh, as I always describe it, if you got stranded in the Andes for two weeks, you die if you need carbohydrate. Uh, so the, uh, we all have an, even the thinnest of us have, uh, enough fat to live on for a long time. 
the uh, the key problem in in carbohydrates is to maintain blood glucose, and your body is set up to do that through uh, protein. The risk in starvation it lies with carbohydrate, not with fat. The, the risk in absolute starvation, if you don't have any food coming, is you will break down your body protein to turn it into carbohydrate. Now, on a low-carb diet, you don't, you don't have to worry about that because you're taking dietary protein in. So to answer your question, uh, for many people, as little carbohydrate as possible. Uh, people with diabetes, they, uh, uh, as I said before, the most salient feature is the high blood glucose. And the principle on diet in diabetes is eat to the meter, which means the blood glucose meter, the glucometer. If the glucometer uh, tells you that your blood glucose is going up after a meal, you ate the wrong thing. It's simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can then take a drug to cover that, but that should be your choice. You should know that you can actually do be- best control with diet. Well, I personally, my joke is that uh, I eat to the ponderometer, which is the bathroom scale. Uh, if I, uh, if uh, my weight goes up, I know I haven't been eating right. Uh, but again, you get the best control by reducing carbohydrate. And the reason for that is that carbohydrate itself, that is glucose, and the hormones, predominantly insulin, that it generates are catalytic in, in the sense that they control everything else. So it's not that fat doesn't matter. It's that the carbohydrate is there controlling the fat. So fat becomes secondary or more passive. Wow. So that would be uh, my advice. Uh Start with carbohydrate and see which uh, reduction in carbohydrate will fit you. Thank you, Dr. Feynman. I like that. If you're okay, just do what you're doing. But I'll tell you, I, you know, in my practice, uh, carbohydrate control is a must and specifically certain types of carbohydrates. I wish I could talk to you more about this, Dr. Feynman, but we're really out of time. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And until next time, let's go ahead and go out there and be your best self, live your best life full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.